Why do we study the Bible? Why these books and not other books? How do we know that we have the right list that we're studying? Turn to the front of your Bible and look at that list of biblical books there. This is our second session in our discovery class. I'm giving you something about what you would get as a freshman in college, and really good, you pay no tuition, you turn in no papers, and you have no test. So it's the best deal you can get right here. But if you missed the first session, it is online. If you'll look at this logo there uh, on our webpage, and you will see, you can click on it, and you can catch up and pick the one that you missed, and you'll be right with us. So if you didn't pick up the first one, I'd encourage you. You're in a hermeneutics class. It's the art and science of interpretation. And so uh, if you'll click on that online and catch up and get with the first one. Well, we've got a list of books. We've got 39 books here uh, listed in your Old Testament. You might have a Catholic copy of Scriptures. You might have a few more books here. In the New Testament, you would have uh, 27 books for a total of 69 books. But why these books? Why not other books, ancient books, that were circulated in the church? Why these books? How was it decided? When was it decided? What were the principles that those who put this list together used to determine if a book was in or a book was out? We now stand two to 3,000 years on the other side of the writing of the biblical books, depending on which book you're talking about, whether Old Testament or New Testament. And therefore, as we saw last week, we have to cross this long bridge. We got the bridge of time. We've got three millennia or two millennia from the time that they were written. We have the bridge of culture that we have to cross. Maybe we don't know why a Samaritan can't be good. Or it's a big deal for Jesus to sit down with a woman that men and women in the first century wouldn't talk in broad daylight, much less that she's a Samaritan. And maybe we don't know why that's an awkward conversation. And even the disciples of Jesus are whispering over on the side, what is he doing talking to her? Maybe we don't know why you take your sandal off if you're redeeming a piece of property in your family and that seals the deal. Be careful where you take your sandal off. You might be buying some property in, in that culture. You see? So we have the bridge of time. We have the bridge of culture. We don't, the Western culture is completely different from this culture. We have the bridge of language, especially if we don't read Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic. And like this morning, I try to point those things out to you when I can, that the yous are plural. He's not speaking to you. He's speaking to you all. But if you can't read the Greek text, you can't see that unless someone tells you because in English, the singular and the plural you reads exactly the same, but it does not in Greek tags. I got the bridge of geography. We're in a different part of the world with a different climate, though we're pretty close in West Texas in some ways with an arid climate. But you have the gift, the, the bridge of geography. 
We want to cross all these bridges to find out what the original writer was trying to say to the original listener, really. Most of these books would not have, you wouldn't have a copy, like you had the privilege of having a copy. Maybe it's on your phone, maybe it's on your iPad, maybe it's a copy, written copy like my copy, but you wouldn't have a copy. Someone would go over and take the scroll in the Old Testament, and it would be like the scroll of Isaiah, of Jesus, and, and Luke 4, and then roll the scroll to the, the pot, spot, and the rabbi, the teacher that day, would read the scroll. Are you in the church in Thessalonica, and Paul had written a letter answering your questions, someone would stand up in church and read the letter. That's why reading Scripture is important. It was written to be heard more than it was written to be read. Does that make sense? So it was good to read Scripture aloud, for it was written with that intent. Well, ask the question, what did the original, original writer mean for the original listener to discover? And so that's why we're doing this on Sunday nights giving you a toolbox to have a set of tools so you can come to a book of the New Testament and know what kind of genre, what kind of book is it. And if it's this kind of book, what principles do I use to interpret that kind of book? What, the way you might read a gospel like Matthew is completely different than the way you would read an apocalyptic genre like Revelation. It's, it's a different kind of of literature. Just like you know when you pick up science fiction, that's different than picking up uh, uh, another kind of historic fiction, isn't it? Well, tonight we back up just a bit to ask the bigger question. Before we learn how to read and understand these set of biblical books, we first have to ask the question, why these books? Why this Bible? We want to know because if you're here tonight, you either have or you're considering giving Scripture authority over your life. You're here because you care what Scripture says. You're here because you are giving Paul authority over your life, or John, or Peter, or Isaiah, or Jeremiah. If we're going to let... I, I, I have chosen for my ethical matrix to let whatever Paul says rule in my life. He's right. I'm wrong. If I think something different than Paul, Paul's the apostle. He's the authority. I'm not, you see. And so if I'm going to submit myself to what Paul the apostle taught, then I have to ask myself, do I understand what he's saying? Because it's really important because I'm going to behave, try to behave according to what Paul is telling me to do. Or if John, if John is relaying to us something, I, I want to know what John's saying because John saw Jesus, John heard Jesus, John touched Jesus. And if he's telling me that Jesus washed feet, I'm, I'm captivated. No other gospel writer told me about that. John, what are you trying to tell me? Who is it exactly that decided that this group of books is different than any other books? How was it decided? Why these books? There are a lot of other writings from antiquity, a lot of other old writings. We call this list of books a canon. We call this list a canon. Well, we ask ourselves, 
why the word canon. The word canon comes from the Greek word that means reed. And what would happen, reeds were cut, maybe think of bamboo, reeds were cut and used to measure. Even marks were placed upon them, and so it became an ancient measuring stick. And so if you were building, you measured according to the reed, according to the canon. And so this list, you decide what you're thinking or teaching. It must measure up to the reed or the canon. Now, you're sitting there thinking, that's not what I, I thought a cannon was. I thought a cannon was a weapon used in the war between the north and the south and it had a big gun on it and it was on wheels. Well, that's a cannon, a different cannon. That's the cannon with two ends in the middle is a giant gun. This kind of cannon is one end in the middle. It means reed or measuring stick. It's a way that we measure if a book is on the list, on the read, or not on the read. Canon began to be used as a measure of anything, what you compare something to. We're 2,000 years away from Paul starting a church in Corinth or Thessalonica, and so we have to be able to measure what we're teaching in Sunday school or preaching from this pulpit against something that we know to be true. Well, we're going to divide this into two parts. We have two different canons here, do we not? We have an Old Testament canon and a New Testament canon, and they have different histories, so we must divide them apart. Well, the Old Testament first. We have 39 books. We start with Genesis. We end with Malachi. And even, I'm telling you, some of these first graders can tell you their whole books of the Bible. You do not want to compete with them when calling out the books of the Bible. They got it. Even the minor prophets, they got it. In order. Well, the first question is this Is it even important today? Why is the Old Testament even important? Don't we have a New Testament now? Don't we, shouldn't we just reduce our canon down to the 27 books about our Lord and his apostles? You might hear somebody say sometimes, We're a New Testament church. Well, is the Old Testament still? important for us? Wasn't the Old Testament written for the Jews and their religion, and aren't we Christians, and that's a little different today? And so, why can't we just be a New Testament church and never preach or study from the Old Text? Well, actually, I want you to see the Old Testament a different way. The Old Testament is awfully, awfully important. What was the Scripture that Jesus loved and knew? He didn't have the New Testament. Jesus loved and knew the Old Text, the Old Testament. So when you look at your 39 books listed in the Old Testament, you need to remind yourself, this is the Bible of Jesus. This is the Bible that he knew, the Bible that he quoted when he taught. The Christian church started its existence with a book or a canon, but it wasn't the New Testament. It was the Old Testament that was the original canon or list of books even for the churches and the New Testament. In fact, we had two different religions, the Jews and the Christians, both sharing the same read, the same canon, the Old Testament. In fact, the first members of the church were, without question, Jews. So they knew Scripture and loved the Old Testament and never stopped loving the Old Testament. 
In fact, the Old Testament is the only scripture writing that Jesus ever quotes. Jesus came announcing the time is at hand. The kingdom of God has arrived, Mark 1-4. And when Jesus was saying that, he was saying that the long-awaited day of Daniel, the Old Testament, had actually arrived. Everything Jesus does, he sees as fulfillment of words in these 39 books. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand, Mark 1, Daniel 2. They match. Jesus is fulfilling the old prophets. Well, you remember when Jesus went to his own hometown, Nazareth, to preach? They bring him a scroll of Isaiah 61. He enrolls it and he reads the scripture. And then he preaches a sermon from Isaiah 61. And the scripture in Isaiah is about this. And Jesus says, that he has been anointed to preach good news to the poor, to release the captives, to recover sight for the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then Jesus says at the end of the sermon, today these words of the prophet Isaiah are fulfilled in your hearing. And that, that caused a stir. They knew what he was saying. He was saying this year of jubilee, when the poor hear the gospel, and there's a, the year of liberty, the, the blind are seeing, they knew that meant that the Messiah had come. Those were words associated with not only the year of jubilee, but with the Messiah. So when Jesus reads Isaiah 61 and rolls the scroll back up and says, I'm here, I'm anointed, and the scripture has just been fulfilled. You remember how they received that sermon? <laughs> they want to throw him over the cliff, stone him. He knew what he was saying. He was taking Isaiah seriously, but he was saying, the day of the Lord had arrived, and he was the Lord. Blasphemy to them. Throughout his entire ministry, the Old Testament mattered to Jesus. Jesus and all that he said and Jesus and all that he did was fulfilling the Old Testament, his scripture. In fact, even think about Jesus in his resurrected state. He appears to the disciples and he assures them that his suffering and rising again together was with a, with a constant, consequent proclamation of the gospel to all nations. I quote Luke 24, formed the subject matter of what was written in Scripture. My suffering, my resurrection, it's in the old 39. It is fulfillment of Scripture. Or what would you have given to have been one of those disciples on the road to Emmaus? You'd seen the crucifixion. You'd been a follower of Jesus. You were crushed. He was supposed to ride in Jerusalem and set you free. Instead, he rode in Jerusalem and he was crucified. Cursed is he who hangs on the tree. You were in utter bewilderment. Your Messiah was a failure, and yet you loved him so. But it, it didn't end like you thought. They're walking home, defeated, on that road to Emmaus. A stranger comes up. It's the resurrected Jesus. They do not recognize him in his 
changed body, his changed state. Beside, they had seen him crucified. They knew he was dead. And he talks to them along the way. Their eyes are not open. God keeps them wondering. And it says there on the road to Emmaus, he started back from the beginning of the Old Testament and showed them how all the writings, the law, the prophets, how it all related to him. And all of a sudden, their eyes are opened in the breaking of the bread. It is he. And he vanishes. He could have talked about anything. But on that road to Emmaus with these believers, these Jewish believers, probably a husband and wife, he walks with them and he shows them how everything that happened, his suffering, his crucifixion, his resurrection, was all done in fulfillment of the Old Testament. Don't let anybody tell you the Old Testament's not important. It's, it's Jesus' Bible. Two communities, Christians used it, Jews used it. The only difference was Jew, uh, Christians read it through the narrative of the Jesus story, just the way Jesus read it. You see? In the 16th century Reformation, Protestants, not Catholics, but Protestants, accepted the 39 books from Genesis to Malachi is properly comprising the Old Testament. And the Protestants defended this somewhat shorter list, seven books shorter than the Catholic version, by noting that these 39 books are the only 39 books ever quoted in the New Testament. The New Testament does not quote the other books, the other seven books. Those other books that your Catholic friends may have in their Bible are not on our canon, but they weren't on the Jewish canon either. You see, we accepted the Jewish version of the books worthy to be read. We have the ones that Jesus and the apostles quoted and taught. Those other books come from that 400 period from Malachi to Matthew, we call it the intertestamental period from the ending of the Old Testament to the opening of the New Testament. You have 400 years, and these extra seven books were written during those 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. I'm not saying Matthew is the first New Testament book that was written. I don't think that it was. But between the period of Malachi and the period of Matthew is when these books were written. But Jesus didn't quote them. He didn't read those scrolls. He didn't teach from them. The Jews themselves never believed that these intertestamental books, though they might use them, they never believed that they were inspired in the same way as the law, the prophets, and the writings. The Jews clearly believed that divinely inspired writing for their scripture ceased at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah and the latest of the minor prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. The book's not found on your list, but maybe on one of your friends' lists. Includes some apocryphal. In fact, the word apocryphal, there the root word means doubtful books. Or deuterocanonical books, second read, not the first original read. Those books are Baruch and Judith and First and Second Maccabees and Sirach and Tobit and Wisdom. But those books were 
written after the period of inspiration closed for the Jews and before it opened with the New Testament. Yes, the New Testament writers quote the Old Testament, but only these early 39 books. In fact, there's hardly a biblical scholar, I don't know of one, who would ever argue with you and say that our Old Testament is the Old Testament, the same canon of the Jews, no doubt about it. This shorter list, their list was identical to their list, with one difference. They place their books in a different order than we have our books. It's the same 39 books. The Jews just have them in a different order. Now, you got to remember, at first they were scrolls, right? They weren't, they weren't, you call a book a codex. They weren't in a codex. They were, they were scrolls. And so, you know, the order of the books is not that important because they were on scrolls and they were stored in the chest. And, well, they had a section called the law, Genesis through Deuteronomy. The prophets, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and the 12 minor prophets that you can ever find when somebody preaches out of one of those. How long did it take you to find Jonah the other night? You hear a lot of this. It's, it's hard to keep those guys in order, isn't it? And then they had the writings. Ruth, Psalms, Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Lamentations, Daniel, Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles. Well, then why do we have it in a different order than they have it? Because Jerome took the Hebrew Old Testament and translated it into Greek in something called the Septuagint. And that was to be used by the church, and he put them in the order that we have them now, and that's where our present order comes from. He kind of put them in an order where we had past, present, and future sequence. Uh, Genesis through Esther described the history, the first human race, and then of Israel from creation to the 5th century B.C. And Job through the Song of Songs includes psalms and wisdom for present living. Then Isaiah through Malachi preserves that form of prophecy that is mostly proclamation. And so we have the same books as the Jews. We have them in the order of the Septuagint, the Greek version. The Old Testament, originally written in Hebrew and Aramaic, is translated into Greek. In fact, when Jesus and the New Testament writers quote the Old Testament, they often use the Greek version, the Septuagint. So they knew this order. So I think we've got the right books, and I think we've got them in the right order, these 39 books. Why this list? Because by every evidence, it's the list Jesus used. It's the list Paul used. It's in the, the way and only the books that they used. Old Testament, pretty easy. We use the Jewish Bible, it's closed. New Testament. So why do we have a New Testament? If I sold you on the Old Testament, then why do we even have a New Testament? If the Old Testament was good enough for Jesus, Paul, and Peter, why isn't it good enough for you? Can you answer that question? You will be in here in a few minutes. Why, why don't we have different books in these 27 books? Why this second read or canon? The early Christians believed that the most important decision that anyone could make was the decision about Jesus. Therefore, we need a good source to tell us who Jesus was, what Jesus said, what he did, and what he asked his followers to do. 
The early church would soon be infiltrated, even as it is today, repeatedly by false teachers, especially of the Gnostic sort. They divided material and spirit. We studied them when we did the Johannine epistles. We won't go back there right now, but they were false teachers. In fact, Jesus and his apostles both warned that the wolves were coming to devour the sheep. Well, how do you tell a, a true teacher from a false teacher? How do you tell real theology from bad theology? How do you tell truth from error? The only way to know if the teacher's teaching the right thing is to have a yardstick, a cannon, by which to measure what he is saying against what the apostles have said. All right, put your seatbelts on. Here's a, a new idea for you. The New Testament believers, the early church actually had three canons, and you, you've only got one of them left here. But the first two were people. As long as Jesus is around teaching, you don't have to have a book. You're watching him. He is the canon. He's the embodiment of the canon. He is truth. You following me? So once you have the embodied canon of truth, whatever Jesus says, that goes. And so as long as Jesus is here in those first three years, they're jotting down some things that he says and they're recording them. But man, if you got a question, just go ask Jesus. He's here. Well, they heard Jesus teach. They watched Jesus heal. They helped him cast out demons. And then after Jesus was gone, you had the apostles. You had old Paul. You got a question, since I might ask him, he was quick with a pen. Paul would write a letter. So the apostles were the ones that Jesus set forth, ordained to carry forth his movement, the church. Great commission, go therefore make disciples. He's appointing them at that moment. They had been close to Jesus. They had seen him crucified. They had witnessed him in his resurrected state. Thank the only thing that I know that Jesus ever wrote was in John when he stoops down the sand and doodles with his finger when the woman's caught in adultery. But when Jesus is gone, you don't have a collection of Jesus' writings, do you? So it's the 12 or other apostles like Paul wasn't one of the 12, but he was on the road to Damascus and he saw a bright light and he realized he was fighting against and following the law the crucified and resurrected Christ, and he becomes an apostle. He sees the resurrected Jesus. Now, the authority of apostles started this way. The authority of Jesus, the first canon, was the presence of Jesus. When Jesus wasn't there, the second canon was the presence of Paul. How many times do you read one of Paul's letters? I'm planning on coming to you. I want to come to you. In fact, sometimes he says, when I get there, I'm cleaning house. Some of you don't want to see me get there, right? When Paul shows up, he sets things straight. What right does he have to do that? He's an apostle. That's why. Peter's authority is in Peter's presence, right? 
The Johannine community, John's community, the authority is the presence of the beloved disciple John. And as long as they're there, they'll travel through, they'll answer our questions. In the meantime, you write them. So what happened is Paul couldn't always get there. They traveled by the weather. Good thing weather doesn't change our plans these days. But back in the old days, weather could change your plans. So Paul would sit down and say, I'm planning to come. I want to come to you. How many times I've been hindered from coming to you? But here's the answer to your questions. Quit worrying about your grandmother who died before Jesus returns. I don't want you to be unknowing, brethren, about those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this I say to you by the word of the Lord, it's not even my idea. I heard Jesus say it. And Grandma's going to get there before you do. You see, the letter was just as authoritative as Paul standing there. It was a canon. If a book was going to make it into the New Testament, the book had to be written by an eyewitness of Jesus. John, John tells you, I was there. I saw him. I heard him. I touched him. So an eyewitness. Or had to be written by an apostle. And that kind of determines which books get in. Or you're going to say, now wait a minute. Mark's not an apostle. You're not fooling me. I know the list. Luke's not an apostle. So an eyewitness of the ministry of Jesus, an apostle, or someone really close to an apostle. Mark's not an apostle. Paul's writing Gideon easy. He's an apostle. Peter's writings had a little more difficulty because they're smaller and weren't as circulated as much. So, but Peter's Gideon because he's an apostle. Mark's Gideon because Mark sat at the feet of Peter. And the church knew that he had sat there. And Luke's Gideon because Luke travels with Paul and Acts. You following me? It would only be natural for those early churches to yield to Paul's authority. And when the false teachers came in, they said, Paul, they're telling us this. It doesn't sound like what you said. And Paul would write it out. No, they're wrong. Here it is. So the early church had the scriptures, the Old Testament. They had the traditions of things pinned down about Jesus from the eyewitnesses. And they had the presence of the apostles themselves. Or when Peter or Paul couldn't get there... They had the letters that they had written. In fact, you can tell even reading the scriptures, it was treated as having authority of the Old Testament. They had to ask the question, the apostles are dying off. How do we know what they really preached and taught about Jesus? I mean, our, our whole religion is what did they preach and teach about Jesus? And how will we know? Well, I know there's a book. He wrote some books to Corinth. Let's get those. And, well, there's some books in Thessalonica. They've got copies of those. We'll get a scribe and no printing press. We'll get a scribe and he'll write them down and we collect them together. And so for a while, there's a little group, a book called the Gospels that had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in it. And churches read them and trade them and circulate them. And then they had something called the Apostles. It was the writing of Paul. And they circulate them and they read them and even some of these general epistles were traveled around they were read to the churches and how do we know what the apostles said 
Because despite the fact they're dead and gone, we kept what they wrote. We have their authority right here. The first list of New Testament books comes from a heretic named Marcion. We don't like his list. Marcion's not a good fellow. But the fact he came up with a bad list made the church say, no, 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 no. There's other books, and you don't have the right list. So the church answered Marcion, and Tertullian in the second century gave us a list of 23 books. He left out James, 2 Peter, and 2 and 3 John. He didn't say they weren't in. He simply wasn't aware of them or didn't say anything about them. And then Origen, finally in the early 3rd century, refers to all 27 books. The early list, the books that were in some list and not in other lists were Hebrews, James, 2 Peter, 2 3 John, and Jude. At last, Athanasius, this is the list, 367, A.D. 367, Athanasius, the bishop of Alexandria, at the Easter time festal letter, said, these are the 27 books of the church. And the Council of Hippo affirmed it in 393, and the Council of Carthage in 397. And since that time, when Athanasius, the Bishop of Alexandria, Egypt, stood up and said, this is the list, no book has been added. No book has been removed. Were there any books that didn't make it? Yep, the Didache, First Clement, Shepherd of Hermas, among others. They might have been helpful, but they weren't associated with an apostle like these 27. The church didn't have Jesus anymore. They needed to know what Jesus said and what he taught and what he did. They didn't have the apostles anymore. And so they gathered together everything the apostles had written and held them dear and called them Scripture. Now, all the books were written at least by A.D. 100. They were written close to Jesus. They're not old books. They're not removed from Jesus or the apostles. In this region, these books were used. This region, these books were used. Different apostles, different places. And then A.D. 367, they come together and make the list. Can we add some books to this canon? Well, if Jesus shows up and starts talking, you can. Or if an apostle arrives around, if, P, if Paul shows up and we're convinced it's Paul, then he can write some new books. Other than that, it's closed. Don't try to get one in. We're not going to listen to you. How did they choose which books were in and which books were out? Were they written by an eyewitness to Jesus? Were they written by an apostle that Jesus entrusted the faith to? Were they written by the friend of an apostle? Could they say with John, I heard him, I saw him, I touched him? And were the books useful? Were the books used in the various churches in the various places? So the church might say to another church, we've got this book written by Paul. You need to hear it. We'll send someone to read it to you. Was it helpful for faith and practice? There was a little bit of a, you know, the word utilitarian, utilitarian principle. Did it really help us? Did the book was it used in faith and practice? There you go. 66 books. The first 39, give the Jews the credit. 
We just followed their canon, and it's the books that Jesus and the apostles quoted, and they only quoted from these 39 books. The second 27, they emerged through not only divine inspiration, but what is divine inspiration without divine preservation? The same Holy Spirit that inspired those books to be written historically watched the salvaging those books and collecting those books so that they were copied and collected in such a way that we could stand 2,000 years from now and hear, thus saith the Lord God Almighty. And some of you say, man, I had no idea it was that complicated. It was. And that's good. That's good. Beware of a religion who says their tablets fell from heaven on golden tablets, the books. And then they had magic spectacles that the fellow had to put on to be able to read the books. You're not buying that. I'm not buying that. Aren't you glad that's not our history? You see the difference? We have a historical foundation for the books of our faith. It's not a magic trick. Such claims as magic books falling from heaven lack credibility and confirmation. But these 66 books are the inspired word of God preserved by God's people over time, either the people of the old covenant or the people of the old covenant that came and helped us with the new covenant. And God has always been at work in the movements of history and revealing and preserving his revelation so they can walk across the path of truth. And we can stand today just as surely as Paul stood 2,000 years ago and say, thus saith the Lord God Almighty. And as much as it depends on you, I can still say that today just like Paul wrote to Roman. And as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Let us pray. Oh God, thank you for this book. Not only it's being inspired but it's being preserved. So we don't have to wonder if we're preaching the right things or teaching the right things that the apostles and those who sat at the feet of the apostles and the words of Jesus recorded by those who sat at his feet. It's all here, everything we need. And even the ancient prophets from millennia ago. What a beautiful historical way and what a privilege for us to hold in our hands our own copy of God's Word, the only library that's really true. And we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.